0: Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry.
1: Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Chris Adams. Chris is a luxury hospitality industry disruptor and CEO and founder of lifestyle consulting agency Ellis Adams Group. Chris is known. As an expert in everything luxury, he creates some of the most dynamic beverage programs for the most luxurious hotels around the world. He is also known for training and his mentorship. So sit back, relax, grab yourself your favorite Knob Creek cocktail and enjoy the show. Chris, welcome to Served Up. I am really excited to have you on the show today.
0: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Chris, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, where your hunger and your passion for the beverage industry really stem from and a bit about your journey?
0: Yeah, of course. You know, I started, crazy enough, um, not in the beverage industry. I didn't even start in hospitality, for that matter, um, growing up i I didn't have that college job where I was you know a server or a bartender um i randomly I grew up in the entertainment industry um and I had music stuff going on and record deals at a very young age and I thought that was that was the career that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life and um I stumbled into this industry at a very i i call it a young age I was like 19, 20 years old uh, when I stumbled into it um, and my first job was a part time pool attendant. Um, I didn't realize I was going to be do the best job I ever had in my life uh, as a part-time bulletin attendant with uh, Ritz-Carlton hotels. Um, and I'll lead more into kind of how Ritz-Carlton has now progressed, and I'm actually back in the fold with Ritz-Carlton and actually Mary International and many other brands. But I fell in love with it. I didn't know why at the time, I just knew that it made sense, it felt right. And I completely walked away from anything on the music side and focus on hospitality. And then in ho- within hospitality, really focused on beverage specifically. And it has been a wild ride. I worked myself up the ladder at Rich Carlton Hotels. Um, started off at Grand Lakes in Orlando and worked myself up the ladder, became an exec for them before walking away and opening up my first restaurants and bars. And honestly, Bridget, it's crazy because I look back now and I was such an arrogant punk that thought I had this figured out. I thought, uh, man, the food and beverage is easy. I worked my way up the ladder so fast. I opened up my first restaurants and bars, and they were extremely successful. Um, and I was all it did is fed the the arrogant um, persona that I had at that time. And then I um, I kept it going and opened up another one. And when I tell you I failed, like I failed hard. Um, didn't just lose the restaurant; lost everything. Um, I had family that was invested. Um, they lost everything. And it was the most humbling, embarrassing um, moment of my life at that point. And it forced me to really dive in to understand the industry um, and, and really understand what hospitality is. And that was that was the turning point for my career. And kind of started back at the bottom again and worked myself back up. The latter went back to Ritz Carlton Hotels again, working at many of their properties um, and doing openings for them and, and whatnot before finally Spinning off of Ritz Carlton, opening uh, Ellis Adams Group, and it was really our the consulting firm that now has the opportunity. Um, We work directly with Marriott International, and all twenty something they have thirty plus brands now, and I think we're we're directly involved in almost all thirty of them. Um, And and so we've been very fortunate over the years to get where we are at this point.
1: Yeah, that's really incredible. You know, I've worked with a lot of hotels myself, like the Hilton Group. Um, for sure. And it's so much different working with the hotels and, um, I, cause you're working on such a grand scale than just yeah. working with like a mom and pop bar or a restaurant. But before we talk about that, I do want to take it back just a little bit. Cause you did say you were in the entertainment industry early <laughs> on. Were you in a boy band?
0: No, everyone asked that. No, I was, I, I was, I was signed to the same label as many boy bands, and yes, it was during a time period where being in a boy band was very cool. Um, but no, I was not in a boy band.
1: Okay, now we've clarified that. Oh, we got
0: that out of the way. We can move on. We now. got
1: that out of the way. Now we can move on to when you started your own consulting group, because um, you know you're very humble, Chris, and I think that we should really kind of dive into what that looks like. And for our, our listeners may not even realize or, or understand what a consulting group is. You know, what do, what do you bring to the table? Why is it important to your customers? And how have you creatively really brought yourself to that space?
0: You know, a consultant, it's funny because because most people, when you say consultant, no one knows what that really is. It's always like, are you in between jobs and you're saying you're a consultant? <laughs> um, and we've been fortunate. You know, our, our, we started off. It was by myself, um, and uh, my first my first project that I was able to land was actually for a W. Um, even though I had all these relationships on the Marriott side, this was before the Marriott Starwood merger. Um, my first uh, job was with a W as a consultant, and it literally just kind of um, snowballed from there to the point that now I'm extremely involved with Marriott International and their brands. Um, We've been fortunate enough that we work with many other brands outside of that. And I don't think most people realize how hotel structure works, where they think Marriott has all these hotels, and they do. But Marriott technically is a management company. And so many of these hotels, the majority of the hotels have ownership groups that own the hotels. And then they hire a management company to manage the hotel's and fly the flag of, let's say, a Marriott or a Hilton or a Hyatt or whomever it might be. And those ownership groups will have, let's say, 40, 50, 150 hotels within their portfolio. And their portfolio might have everything from a Marriott to a Hyatt to a Courtyard to a Holiday Inn. Um, and when we start working with those ownership groups, we get the opportunity to work with all of those brands. So it's pretty pretty interesting for us to be able to, to kind of jump back and forth between Marriott, Ritz-Carlton, St. Regis, um, an intercontinental, a Hilton. Um, and cause they all kind of have different, their, their similarities in hotels, but very different, um, how the structure, I guess, of how they run their operations. Um, and the benefit of us is a couple of things. One, you're getting an outside viewpoint, right? You're, you're getting a different set of lens, um, that people are looking at the operation. You know, it's, what's the old saying? It's tough to see the forest beyond the trees. And I think it's a perfect example right now with where we're at in our industry, where labor is a struggle for everyone. And, you know, I look at our hotels and many of them, it's we're just trying to get through today. You know, we're not thinking about what's our new programming and what's the cool thing we're going to roll out. We're hoping to God we make it through today so we can then get to tomorrow. And having an extra set of eyes to come in that's not stuck in the, the operation day in and day out gives you a different perspective. It lets us look at things from a guest viewpoint. You know, for us, it's about storytelling and everything that we do. It's about storytelling. When we're developing a concept, if we're going through the design phase, um, if we're writing menus, it's the storytelling aspect of everything we do and making sure that when we come in, that we're looking at what story are we telling our guests? How do they feel, right? So we do a lot on the luxury side. And we're considered a lifestyle brand. And when you talk about luxury specifically, people always ask the question, Chris, how would you describe luxury? How would you explain luxury? And for me, luxury is nothing more than a feeling. That's it. People typically think it's, it's a price point. It's something expensive. It's marble floors. But at the end of the day, luxury is nothing more than a feeling. It's how you make people feel. And I think if we could take that same mentality and approach, and take it from luxury and push it into even our you know our four-star three-star, our select service hotels. how do we make people feel right? When they show up to that courtyard hotel and they're checking in, how we make them feel is what they're going to remember? And those are some of the things that we really focus on from an operational standpoint to say, are we doing everything that we're supposed to do to create that feeling for our guests? Because if we can create an emotional connection with them, we know it actually helps revenue, right It'll help the dollar. It helps us with our margins. Um, and it's all based on that emotional connection and that story that we're telling.
1: Yeah, that's such a beautiful approach because you're so right. Like luxury, we tend to, even with spirit brands, right? To have that, yeah. that luxury spirit, which is typically dictated by a price point and packaging and marketing versus that feeling that you're saying. you know, it, I think it's a very personal thing.
0: It is, you know. There's actually studies. My, my dad was a psychologist, and so much of my brand was really built on. I'm I'm obsessed with the with the brain and understanding how it how we as human beings react to things, um, how neurological mapping dictates our behavior and behavioral patterns of guests, and all those things is a lot of what our company focuses on to help us make good decisions for our clients. And when you look at some of the data that's come out when you talk about luxury there's actual studies that show that you actually stand and walk differently after you've purchased a luxury item. So when you walk into Christian Louboutin before you purchase those shoes, there are studies that say that when they hand you that bag, that you know that there's those red bottom shoes in the bottom, in that that box, when you leave that store, you actually physiologically walk differently. You stand taller. Um, There's a different demeanor and air about you once you've made that purchase. And that's driven on a feeling. And I think if we understand some of those things and the psychological side of what's going on for our guests and our customers, it really changes the way that we tell our story. And it really makes us hone in on what our story actually is. Um, because that's, that's the new marketing piece. When you look at social media and, and how it's driving habits, spending habits, um, a study came out and said over 90% of all decision-making is based on social influence. That's a big number, right? And how we make people feel with our product lines, um, whether it's a, a spirit or a hotel, um, is going to have a huge impact on the dollars that they're spending with us.
1: You know, um, I know that you work with senior leadership quite often, whether it's from hotels or other clients, and you're, you are a leader in the beverage um, industry as well. What is some sound advice that you have for those looking to really make that next step in their career? as they work their way up that, that ladder?
0: You've come in at a right time. <laughs> I, I look at in individuals right now, if, if you ever wanted to climb the ladder, um, the hospitality industry, it's now. Um, you know, we're craving people. We're begging people to come into our spaces and, and work. Um, and so I think, you know, I struggle with that a little bit because my whole mantra from day one was just work harder than everybody else right? I, I I put in more hours. I studied my tail off the things I didn't know. I, I did my homework. I made phone calls to people that were experts in the industry and begged them for five minutes of their time to say, how hey, can I pick your brain so I can become better at it? I just put in a lot of work. Um, and I, I was willing to bust my tail for it. Um, I think after I went through what I did with losing everything, realizing that hospitality is based on an industry of individuals that care more about others than themselves. I, I love making people happy, right? And, and I don't, you don't have to pay me for that. There's, there's times that has nothing to do with work that I'm walking through somewhere and I see someone struggling with something. My first instinct is to help them because it's a, you have a heart for others in this industry. And I think the first thing that I would recommend to anyone, no matter what discipline you're looking to go into is a couple of things. One, I believe that every person on the planet was, was given natural talents, right? You were blessed with something naturally that you were just good at. You don't know why, you just happen to be good at it, right? And I think first is identifying what your natural talents are. Number two is being very real with yourself on what your passions are. And too many times we, we let our, our culture and our society Push us in a direction because we want something based on what they tell us we should have, not what we're truly passionate about, right? We should never let someone else's passion cause us to pursue their purpose, right? So that's I should never let someone else's passion, someone else, I see their lifestyle, I see what they have, and I start pursuing what they have versus attaching it to what my passion actually is. And that's where you see individuals where I look at school teachers that they're not getting paid tons of money. Right, they 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 don't get paid, and and they're not necessarily able to have this crazy elaborate lifestyle yet. Many of them are some of the happiest people ever meet because they're going after what their passion is. And I think it's important for you to figure out what your passion is and how that intersects with what those natural talents are that you've been blessed with. Once you can find that space where they inter interlock, that's where the sky's the limit on what you potentially could do. For me and my team, I am a I'm a huge advocate for leadership. I think one of the biggest challenges we have right now, in um, I'll, I'll talk, keep it within hospitality, is the fact that we don't have a lot of true leaders in the industry. We have people with titles. We have people that, that have positions. But leadership is about maximizing those around you. It's about being secure with enough within yourself that says, I'm going to hire the absolute best, and I'm going to pull more out of them than they ever knew they had. I'm going to tap into things they didn't realize they were good at. I'm going to put them in positions that they never thought they'd be put in. I'm going to give them access to things and people they never thought they have access to. That's my job. My job is to clear the path for my team and let them be amazing. And I think that if we can focus more on how to mentor people, how to lead people, how to give them the tools to be successful, and then let them be great, how it aligns with what those natural talents they have, that's when you start to see some really beautiful things happen within your organization.
1: Yeah, it's almost um, a great leader steps aside a bit, right?
0: Steps aside a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, You know, you mentioned the word mentor. You know, I have multiple mentors that are actually in all sorts of different industries, not just beverage that I definitely pull wisdom to and use as a soft place to land at times as well. Can you talk a bit about what mentorship means to you? And if you're just getting started in our industry, how to find a mentor?
0: Yeah, Mentors are, are a necessity in my opinion for growth. Um, Just like you, I have multiple mentors in in multiple fields um, that, I look to for guidance. Um, I look to as a sounding board um, to, to let me vent to when, when I need to, right? Um, I, I think it is important. So what I did when I first started, because I didn't have access to a lot of people at that time, right, is there was a great book that was written by John Maxwell, who's considered you know, a, a great leadership guru and has you know tons of books out there that you can pick up of his. And in one of his books, he had what he called The Thinking Circle. And in thinking circle, he created 20 categories out, if I remember right, of what he felt were the most important categories to make him a well-rounded individual or leader, right? And those categories could be leadership, it could be spirituality, it could be um, relationship building. And there was 20 of these categories that he felt were extremely important that he needed to hone in his skills on. And he took every one of those categories and he had a person that he thought was an absolute, the best of the best in that specific category. And their name was attached to it. And some of those people he had access to, some of those people were individuals that he would only be able to look up on, let's say a YouTube or grab their books or something. And he would do everything in his power every month to try and find a way if it was either getting one of their books or if it was somebody he had direct access to, to get some time with them every month. And they didn't know what he was doing. He was just trying to, can I get five minutes on the phone with you? Just want, to, just want to chat it up. And with the whole purpose of, he would ask specific questions based on the category that he thought they were great in. And he would watch them and he would use them as his guide. And they became his mentors until he got his Rolodex big enough where he actually had specific people that he went to um, on a weekly or monthly basis. And I, did, I ended up replicating that. I created my categories of what I felt were important. And I had people that I I did it a little different, where it was only people I knew I can access, and I would put calendar invites uh, for myself that they didn't know about. Of me calling them every every couple of weeks, and if I can get three minutes on the phone with them just to ask questions. Um, if they were at an event, I would go to the event whether it was something I needed to be at or not, simply to watch them. How would they interact? What did? How did they? How? What was their behavior around others? How did they engage in conversation? How did they build those relationships? And they became my mentors. And it was like that for a few years of me just watching and and learning and putting it into my kind of that emotional bank account that I had until I finally got to the point where I had a handful of individuals that truly became my mentors. We we talked about it, they're the ones that I call to this day on a on a weekly basis. And we check in on each other and hold each other accountable. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things as you get true mentors is your ability to be open, honest and be okay with accountability. Accountability is one of those things that most people struggle with. At our company, we use a a system that might add, help develop of how we actually train. And it's a three-step approach that says step one, you need to have a written process for everything you want done, right? So in the beverage world, we have a use record, is what we call it, or a recipe card for every drink that we're gonna make. And it's detailed and it has the exact recipe, preparation method, garnish, the whole nine yards. Now, that's a written process. And so that's step one with anything that you want to happen is you have to have a written process. Step two is the tough part of how to get results. And step two is the accountability piece. Step two is the piece that when we don't do something right, we're okay with someone telling us, hey, you didn't do that right. Do it over. Hey, you're, you're, you're not doing this properly. Hey, the process says, put it on the left, not the right. What are you doing? And we have to be okay with the accountability piece. And the, the biggest thing with that is people hate tough conversations. Most people don't like confrontation. So as a result, I'm just going to let it slide because I don't want to. I don't want to have to deal with it. The problem is step two, the accountability creates habits. And as long as we can create a habit against the process that we're written that we've written in step one, it'll give us step three, which is the most. Uh, that's the fruits. That's the rewards of what we're doing. And that says that it starts to dictate our behavior. So step one, write the process. To create accountability, and and which stems the habits. And step three says, it's now going to dictate our behavior. The minute that we're not okay with accountability, the minute, Bridget, that I'm not okay, if I'm mentoring someone and I'm not willing to have those tough conversations, what I'm basically telling them is I don't care about you, right? If we take it back to our, uh, you have kids, I have kids. If they do something wrong and I see them doing something behaviorally that is going to affect their future... I'm going to say something, I'm going to step in and, and, and keep them from making a bad decision. And I know that in making in stepping in, I'm going to reap the, the havoc of the teenager that's slamming doors and telling you you're an idiot, you have no idea what you're talking about. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, because I know I love them so much, I have their best interests at heart for their future. The minute that we're not willing to have those conversations with, with individuals, we're telling them, I don't care about you. I don't care about your future. I don't care about the fact that I see you doing something that's going to hurt your advancement in your career or whatever it might be. But I don't care about you enough for me to actually have a tough conversation. So continue on doing whatever it is that you're doing. And I think when when we can accept, I think, the maturity and and, um, the side of leadership that is accountability, that's when, man, it's a beautiful thing to take place at an organization when your team trusts you enough that it's okay to have tough conversations because they know that I care about them so much that I just want their best interest at heart. And so accountability is a huge piece in that, in that mentorship.
1: Yeah. Well, I agree with you a thousand percent. I do have a lot of folks that I um, mentor here in America and abroad as well. And I do think it's important that we check in with each other, especially, um, we've really gone through through it the last couple of years with COVID. We are still coming out of the trauma of it. It's still around us. Can you talk about some lessons that you learned um, during the lockdown and, you know, just some positive things that really came out of that experience for you?
0: I think for many of us, we've, we realized how much we actually crave human contact, right? I mean, how many times in our industry, we're okay with, you know, oh, my God, I'm constantly around people. I'm totally fine being home for a few days, right? Locking myself away where I don't have to entertain or be out. And then we realize, man, I I miss being around people. I miss being at a bar. Even if I don't know a single person there, the energy that you feel just sitting at a bar and hearing a bartender shake a cocktail while people are laughing on the other side of the room and there's something about that that I think we realized, wow, oh, we really missed that. And I don't think we appreciated it enough um, before it was taken away from us. So that's, that's one thing I think we, everyone has realized. Um, the other thing that we did was we, we looked at this as an opportunity. If you go back and look at most crises that have happened, and we talk about crisis, really for us in the U.S., at least in our generations, it was economic crisis, right? The crashes that have happened. And during those crashes that happened, you saw some of the top companies that we know now were formed and established in the midst of, of chaos and crisis. Uber, PayPal, all of these were created during the crash, or, you know, in the late two thousand and seven eight uh, timeframe. And so for us, it was, well, hell, m- maybe this is our opportunity to do something crazy and outside the box and and push the envelope. For me, it was a moment of, you know, our whole world's built on hotels, while the hotel world shut down essentially. So I'm like, well, crap, what are we going to do? It's either go big or go home. And I said, either I, either we're going to this is going to work and we're going to go big, or we're going to go bankrupt, but I'm not going to sit back and allow an outside circumstance to dictate my future. And so we did, we we hired, um, we brought on people in some outside disciplines that we were already kind of working on on the design size and uh, design side and created a whole design division. Um, with a lead designer from a huge firm that we were able to convince to come work with us. And we just, we took crazy steps that everybody else was furloughing and buckling down and, and cut, cut, cut. And we spent, spent, spent. Um, And we were super fortunate. I I could not be more grateful for how we've been able to navigate this. Um, And it's not because of me. I have some of the most amazing rock stars um, on our team. Um, if I take any credits, it's the fact that I've been able to somehow locate insanely talented people that make me look really, really good, um, and they've been able to grow the brand over the past few years, and that's been that that's been one of the biggest things for us I, in the first i think forty five days of this, when it first went down, actually, Bridget, we left san francisco uh this world spirits competition. And they shut everything down. Like that was my last trip. I literally left San Francisco and went back to LA. And I was like, all right, what are we going to do here? You know, Merritt shutting everything down. We don't know what's going to happen. And I said, you know what? All I saw on the news was, you know, oh my God, the world's coming to an end. What are we going to do? You know, shut everything down. And I said, there's no hope. Like everything we're seeing, whether it was social media, Facebook, um the internet turning on the news everything was just doom and gloom and despair and i was like there has we have to give people hope there has to be something out there regardless of the circumstances which were they were at that moment bleak there still has to be a sliver of hope somewhere to get us up every day to keep fighting and so i took the first i want to say 30 or 45 days And I made a commitment and you can probably go back on my Instagram or YouTube or somewhere and find like 40 straight days of me doing some type of like minute long or three minute long leadership, inspirational, uh, what to do in the midst of crisis kind of little segments that I did from our offices. And every single day, I would get up. I would get fully dressed as though I'm like going to the biggest meeting in the world. I'm like showing up. I'm the only one in our building showing up to the office uh, myself, Maricela, like fully dressed to the nine suits some days with ties. I mean, I was, I was like, I am not going to fall into a rut. And we went in every single day and and Maricela would set everything up. And we literally I'd film um, a minute to three minute long little segment on why today is going to be okay. And what can we do today to make tomorrow better? and. I don't know if I was doing it for anyone else or just me. It was, I don't know if it helped anyone. If it, you know, we got, thankfully we got a lot of feedback that people were consistently watching and looking forward to and it helped them, which is awesome. But I think as much of that, it was for me. It was keeping myself in the right mindset. It was keeping myself in a mindset of of excitement and growth of where we're going and not being focused on where we're at. Um, and so that that's one of the things I think that I came out of this For me, is realizing that I need to make sure every day that I have the right mindset. That I am in, regardless of what's happening around me, pandemic, no pandemic, mad clients, something that went sideways. Do I have the right mindset to be successful today? And that taught me during this pandemic so much of not letting today's emotions dictate my behavior, and that knowing that the choices I'm making today affect my tomorrow. And um, it, it was a big learn for me. Um, if no one else got anything from it, it helped me.
1: <laughs> I think that's very good sound advice, actually. You know, just being, trying to stay in that mindset, being aware, right? Being self-aware, I think is super important in any industry that you're in. And just to get you through the day, you know, being yeah. self-aware for sure. It's
0: tough, man. There's so much... Mm-hmm. There's so much crap being thrown at us day in and day out of, of everything that's wrong. Like, honestly, I take every morning now, I take whether it's five minutes or 30 minutes, whether reading something, I cannot start my day without getting my head right. I will, I refuse to go through the day with a negative perception of anything that's going on. Um, my team takes their cues from me, um, our clients take their cues from my excitement. And so, literally, every morning has become, I got to get myself right.
1: Yeah, you got to get yourself right to start the day, right? You yeah. have a lot of people to inspire every day, which is a lot of pressure.
0: Uh, I think all of us do. I mean, we come in contact, all of us, we come in contact with so many people every day that are looking to us for guidance. They're looking to us for the answers many times. The last thing they need is me coming in and telling them, how, yeah, today sucks.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's just a shit day. Let's get started. I will close your bar
0: because it's just not going to work today. (laughs) It's not
1: going to work today. Can you give our listeners, um, just some of the, you know, you just said that you, when you wake up in the morning, you, you read something, maybe you research something. Can you give, um, our listeners, maybe some references to where you go to for that inspiration?
0: Yeah, I'm a big book guy. So um, find some of those um, amazing authors out there, leadership gurus that not everybody's for you. You know, you got to figure out what works for you and what messaging um, kind of taps into you and inspires you. You know, I've got some friends that think Gary Vee's the most inspirational person on the planet. And I've got other friends that, you know, think he's obnoxious and they don't want anything to do with him. you got to figure out what works, what works for you. But for me, it's, it's the John Maxwells, the Gary V's. Um, you know, at times, even, you know, there's, there's segments and, and snippets that I'll find, even like Tony, Tony Robbins, of just talking about different things that he's dealt with and how he's dealt with things um, throughout his life or um, with people that have come to his conferences. So, you know, I think like with, with any leadership book that's out there, out of the 350 pages you're reading, are all 350 going to be dead on that I think are amazing that speak directly to me? No. But do I think I can pull something out of a 350-page book that makes an impact on me? Absolutely. And so looking for those, those leaders that inspire you. Um, there's so many amazing books out there right now that talk about perseverance, that talk about um, how to grow your business, You know, how did Disney get to where it is, um, Steve Jobs book of, of of the whole path that it took to get Steve Jobs to where he is. There's so many resources now that we have access to thanks to the internet. You know, you don't have to necessarily go to the local library like we used to. Just jump online and Google whatever you're dealing with today, right? Google inspire me. And you'll be blown away by how many sites pop up and different things and quotes that will just help you kind of get in your right space. Um, audiobooks or another good one. It's easy for audiobooks. If you're fly a lot like we do, um, those, those are quick references. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just figuring out who are, for me, it's reading. Um, that's, that's the big one for me that, that just helps a lot, um, calms me down. So figuring out who some of those inspiring authors that are out there right now that really can impact you and help, help guide you.
1: Some really great advice. I think that's something that happens. At least it's happened to me, you know, in the industry is our industry is very aggressive. And I've said this a million times now. You either love it or you just don't like it's either for you or it's not. There's not a lot of gray area in between. There's just not Um, because you can't fake hard work in this industry. You cannot fake hard work. Um, So with that said, it's super easy to get burnt out. I have experienced burnout um, multiple times where I've had to check myself, like, okay, you know, I'm giving so much, but I'm not giving back to myself. Can you talk a bit about work life balance? By the way, I don't believe in balance at all. (laughs) I do believe in being satisfied though.
0: I love that. I I would
1: love to hear your, your thoughts on that.
0: I love that. I could not agree more. I've, it's funny because I'm one of those do as I say, not as I do, I think kind of a, you know, I want to make sure that our team gets opportunities. If, if we have some of our team that's super passionate about, you know, sailing or hiking and they want to do stuff like, Hey, I want to make sure that they have time to do those things. Um, I'll be honest with you. I am madly in love with what I do. Um, When people ask me like, well, what do you do for vacation? I'm like, well, I woke up today. Right. Like, I mean, I get to do, in my opinion, what most people save up for and go on vacation to do. I get to travel the world. I stay at amazing hotels. I eat at amazing restaurants. I drink at the best bars. Like, I get to do that for my job. Like, I am, I have been awarded the most amazing job on the planet, in my opinion. So, for me, I wake up every day. Every day's vacation to me. Like, I, I, the idea of sitting on a beach and turning my phone off, that doesn't excite me. That's just me, right? And that's not everyone. And you need to figure out what is what drives you. And if, you know, my hobby, I love to golf, right? So for me, when I can, when I can squeeze in a round of golf somewhere, that's, that's a win. Like that's just, that's the icing on the cake, so to speak. But I think the big thing goes back to that, what we were talking about a little bit earlier that said, are you really passionate about, passionate about what you're doing? Like when you wake up, when you, if you go back and think when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, what did you dream? What did you want to do? Like, and I don't know that any of us at 11 years old said, I want to bartend, right? I don't, I mean, maybe, but I don't think any of us really at, at 12 years old was like, yeah, I cannot wait to get that bar gig. But we had things we were passionate about. We had things, you know, whether it was music or sports and you wanted to be a baseball player or whatever it is, those are passion points. So how do you take where we're at now at at 30, 40, 45, 50, 60 years old, whatever it is, how are you making sure that you are still tapping into what you're passionate about? There's a story that was told, and and I love sports, and there's a couple of brothers in in the NBA that were very successful coaches, the Van Gundy brothers, right? Stan Van Gundy and Jeff Van Gundy. Um, They were highly successful coaches. And if you look at the two of them, you look at their story, it kind of speaks to what I'm talking about. And the reality is when they were kids, they were passionate about basketball and that's all they wanted to do. And like their dream was to be a basketball player. Well, the reality is the God-given talent that was placed upon them didn't put them in a place where they were ever going to make it to the NBA. I don't care how hard they worked. They were outworking everyone else of waking up before everyone else before school started, and they were shooting until their parents forced them to come inside. The natural talents that were bestowed upon them would never get them to the MBA just merely based on "I want to work harder than everyone else so Unfortunately, what happens for most of us when when we're in that situation is we basically forego our passion and now we're just forced to do something to get through life and you look. You know, we have depression rates are through the roof, anxiety through the roof, suicide rates are through the roof. And uh, there's so many factors and reasons for that. But one of them is the fact that we have people that they're not doing in a lot of what they do for passion. They're doing it because they're chasing after something. They're, they're trying to find their way in life. They're not passionate about it. They're forced to go to work every day and do something that they really don't want to be doing. When you can find out how to attach your passion against what you're doing every day, things start to change. And when you go back to the Van Gundys, you go, well, Chris, what happened? They they were never going to be an NBA player, but you know what they realized? They were blessed with the ability to see the game like others couldn't. They were blessed with the ability to coach, to inspire players, to put plays together to that found success. So they went and took a different path, but became some of the most successful coaches at the NBA you know, not only say has ever seen, but they're very talented and have have done very well with that career. So they found a way to take their passion of basketball, which they thought they were going to be players one day. Thankfully, they identified what their true talent was. They were able to cross those and find that interlock. And the rest is history. And I think when we can do that, and Bridget, it just, it's a game changer when you start to realize, I do what I do because I'm so passionate about it. I love it. I am I am in love with what I do every single day. Um, I love helping others. I love making an impact in other people's lives and maximizing them and seeing individuals that didn't think they were going to be able to achieve something or they never thought they'd be able to live in that house. And I did something or my team did something to get them to a place where now they're able to do that. Like, And that's it. That's, that's the pinnacle of success, right? A
1: hundred percent. I mean, I just over here shaking my head like yes Chris you can't see me cuz we only use audio on here guys but <laughs> but it's so true um it really is that honor that you have um being someone's mentor and seeing them succeed that's where the joy is where you can say yeah. that i had part in that or at very least i was able to watch this journey and just you know, cheering you on the whole way, and there is great yeah. joy in that. I, I have felt that in my professional and personal life. I think that it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah,
0: there's nothing better than helping others. I don't know. It's just it. It's sadly enough, it's selfish, right? Because it makes you feel good when you see when you see somebody else succeed. Um, at least for me, it does. And finding for me the ability to find that that intersection of not knowing that I was going to be such so into hospitality, realizing that you know I grew up in a home where my grandparents had an extra bedroom that was always filled with someone that I didn't know. <laughs> right? It was always somebody that was like, "Oh, that's Uncle so and so." I was like, "Yeah, I've never met them," but they were somebody that was on hard times or they were in between. And my grandparents just always had someone till the time they died. There was someone <laughs> staying in their extra room that was just needing help. And I realized, no, man, I was raised in hospitality. I saw the best hoteliers there ever was um, as a kid growing up and didn't realize that they were basically writing on my DNA, essentially what I was supposed to be doing with my life um, long before I ever knew it. So it's, uh, it's fun now to be a part of an industry that I'm so passionate about. I get very... Um, I get worked up about it because I'm so passionate about it. I hate seeing things. um, I I, I hate seeing us in the situation we're in right now, with with the labor situation, and the fact that so many people don't want to work in our industry. And that breaks my heart. It it honestly, it it destroys me to see our industry struggle this much because we did this to ourselves, sadly enough. But we're in a situation now, we're begging people to come back. And and that kills me because I I love this industry so much.
1: You know, I think that it's kind of like the great reset, right? It had to happen. It had to happen because I know I've been in this industry, going to date myself, I don't know, 27 years, a long time. And it has been toxic for most of those years in some way, shape or form, really toxic. We didn't talk about the things that we should have been talking about, whether it is overconsumption, whether it be sexual harassment, racism. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like you said that people were definitely fleeing, not coming back, kind of like the great walkout, let's say. Uh, Especially, I think that's one of the things that COVID really shined a bright light on were all the cracks in our industry. But then, like you said, and I don't, I guess I want to speak for you, but I do feel that because we we're shining the light on all of this, that we're healing and that people are coming back slowly. They're coming back. And, you know, it's going to take a long time for our industry to get back to where it should have been all along.
0: Yeah. And I think, Bridget, I I couldn't agree more. And I think the biggest thing that we need to make sure of now moving forward is that healing's a necessity, change has to happen. Yes. The change has to happen. It is not, a, it can't be one of those, we've apologized so many times and they finally think that we're telling the truth. And if we don't change, we're gonna continue to repeat the cycle. Yep. And we as an industry, and I could tell you in, in full transparency personally, for myself, it's, it's finding the cracks in my own armor, right? And realizing, wow, I have a huge shortcoming here. I need to fix that. And you can only apologize so many times for that before you have to change. right? And I think when you look at our industry, it's easy for us to identify right now. It's easy for us to shed light on things. It's easy for us to raise the banner of of everything that has happened. What are we going to do moving forward to be different? And that's what is going to affect people to say, all right, now I see change. Now I want to come back. And I think that's the the place we're at right now. And I'll be honest, I'm excited to see what brands, what companies are going to continue to push the envelope and be different and put themselves out there in a place that go, hey, that's the... We don't do the industry that way, or that's not the way we're supposed to sell our products, or that's not the way that our hotel's supposed to be run. Who's going to do it? Who's going to be the disruptor that says, "I don't care what it's been; this is what we're doing moving forward"? And when that happens, and you see results come from it, it will then it'll it'll open up the dam, and it'll force everyone else to to do the same types of changes. And that's what's exciting me right now is to see who's going to be those individuals and those companies and brands to come in and disrupt what's always been to to honestly show change.
1: Yeah. You know, I I think that, you know, what you have going on, in fact, I know is def- you're definitely one of those companies that's creating change, you know, creatively through your work. I've seen it. Um, I appreciate it. And I know that you're very inclusive in your work as well, and always putting out such positivity. It's infectious. It's wonderful. I follow you all over the place on the on the grams and on the, (laughs) you know, for my own personal growth. Like you know, you're someone that I definitely look up to within this industry, Um, and hopefully others will follow suit. But I do think it's going to be a slow roll. But how exciting that we get the chance and the opportunity to reset.
0: Good. I mean. Come on, if you're if you're launching any company, everybody wants to be in on the ground floor, right? That's where that's mm-hmm. where you get the most out of the ROI. Well, now's the time to be in at the ground floor of an industry that is, is changing. Um, you talked earlier of, you know, what recommendations do you have to individuals getting into our industry now? You're getting in at the ground level, right? This is the time to do it. This is the time where you can be a part of that change that's taking place. Um, that's honestly gonna shape the next hundred years of what our industry looks like, that's happening right now. And to say that we're a part of that, that our grandkids and great grandkids can look back and say, man, that was my my lineage helped create where we are right now and established some of the things that are happening right now in a positive way. I mean, if that doesn't excite you, um, when you talk about leaving a legacy, then I don't know what would.
1: Yeah, I agree. What's next for you, Chris?
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> There's a laundry list of things. Um, we have so many exciting projects um, in the works right now. Um, we're opening, let's see, this past year, over 300 hotels we opened for 2022. Over 200 in 2023, forecasted, I think, over 400. So um, when we look at forecast and what's going on in the industry, it's nothing but positive. So that, that's a, that's exciting. We are expanding on the tech side. So there's some really cool tech stuff that's... Um, going to be launched here hopefully in the near future, knock on wood, um, with virtual reality and some of the, some other things that we're, we're dialing into our industry, which probably is a little bit behind the, the curve on um, where some of this stuff is in other industries. So we're really going to try and um, kick that up a little bit as well as continuing to expand the brand um, brick and mortar um, on the hotel side, um, working on some projects with other countries. Um, as well on helping them develop what their tourism look like and expansion of their tourism and some really underpopulated and underutilized amazing parts of the world that no one's really familiar with. So we have, I'm telling you, Bridget, I am, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Like the stuff that gets dropped in our lap that I get to work on and sit on phone calls and conference calls. It's, it gets me excited. It gets me a lot less sleep um, out of excitement. But I'm, I'm OK with that. You know, it's it's such fun and exciting things that are happening right now.
1: Well, that's great news, Chris. You know, congratulations to you. I can't wait to see what you do next. And can you tell our listeners where they can find you?
0: Of course, um, probably the easiest way is jumping on Instagram for sure. And it's at Chris Adams underscore eag you can also follow um at ellis adams official that's our company on instagram and the website the website can take you to any of those things www.ellisadamsgroup.com or ellisadamsinc.com they'll both take you to the same site you can see all of our design projects that are going on and kind of take the journey with us as we travel and and our entire team gets to travel the world and do all this crazy stuff we do Do our best. They're way better than I am at documenting um, all the crazy and fun stuff they get to do, but it's a great way for you to to follow along and be a part of the family.
1: Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for taking time with with the Served Up family today, with me today. I hope that you'll come back again and give us an update on how you're doing and what your team is up to. And in the meantime, I just want to wish you really great health while you're out and about. And also a lot of peace, brother. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do, for what you've given to the industry and what you continue to give to the industry and, and the mentorship. You know, one of our one of my closest friends in the world looks up to you as well, Mr. Gruber. Um, and so I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done and continue to do. And then expanding this podcast, too. Super excited. So whenever you want me back, I'm there.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Cheers to you. Cheers to you. Thanks for
0: listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!